You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Dave Ammons. I'll tell you right now, does it get any better having some church and your whole stage set up like a daggone basketball court? I don't know about you, but I must be doing something right in life. I'm pretty excited, man. I'm going to tell you right now, I was raised on basketball. Oh, y'all thought I was going to miss that. You know I'm going to start off with a layup. Come on, man. Oh, man, I'm going to tell you right now, basketball, I was raised on basketball. I mean, every single day, uh, my neighbor growing up was a concrete guy, and he used to do some of the concrete for the airports around here locally, and so wouldn't you know that we had an entire basketball court in our backyard, right? I mean, so literally every day, the neighborhood kids, the high school kids, I mean, you name it, we're in the back just shooting, right? Uh, And basketball has been a part of my life as long as I can remember. I wish I had a picture for you. But my earliest memory of basketball, how many of you guys have ever had, you're taking a bath, right? And you got the little, like, little sticky thing on the wall, right? And you're sitting there just, I was was just draining them right there in the bathtub. I mean, all day long, right? I mean, I was the kid that that slept with the basketball in my bed, right? Every single night, you would hear when I got off, because I would sit in my bed, lay down, and just do like this. And let's just say my accuracy was not great when I was younger, and so I would knock things off the wall. I I mean... my, my parents just, they knew what it was. I mean, we had four boys, and we played basketball all day, every day. And uh, I tell you what, March, for me, is just a special time period, right? Uh, it is, I would say, the least productive month of my entire year. <laughs> Between the NBA Finals and uh, college basketball coming to an end with an entire month that they call March Madness, uh, it, it's just a good month to be a basketball fan. Any basketball fans in the house? Come on, anybody? A couple? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, March Madness is something, for those of you who don't know, is just one of the greatest things that God ever created. It really is. It's one of those things, man, I tell you what, uh, it is a time period where the best basketball players on a collegiate level come together, uh, and they just play for a month straight. And it is amazing. Literally, every night when you come home, you don't have to wonder what you need to put on the TV. Just turn on ESPN, ABC, CBS, because they're going to be running one of those games, right? Growing up in high school, March was that month where, I mean, all of our friends got together, right? All of our friends got together. We hung out either at our house, uh, one of my buddies down the road. We'd play pool, and we would watch basketball nonstop, okay? Now, for March Madness, see, let me give you a couple things just around that. Uh, March Madness was a term that actually got started back in the 30s. Uh, it, was a, it, was, it was a term that a coach came up with to describe Illinois high school basketball. Okay, so that's the term. Now, it didn't get picked up until the 80s. The 80s, a TV broadcaster knew about this term Used it during the broadcast, and the rest is history. It has stayed with us. It's stuck. And so now every single year for the NCAA tournament, we have March Madness. Super, super fun to watch. Now let me give you a little perspective. In 2022, last year, over 70 million brackets were filled out. Okay, So whether you like basketball or not, that's a lot of people in our country filling out some brackets. right? All right, so let me give you some understanding on that. Uh, President Obama and President Trump received like 65 million votes. 
Okay? Last year, they counted over 80 million votes for Joe Biden. Okay? So if the NCAA bracket was a third-party candidate, last year would have been the first year that they've ever lost in the history of doing voting. Okay? So there's a lot of people doing these brackets, filling them out, uh, and it's just so much fun, man. Uh, in fact, next week, you're going to want to do a little bit of research because throughout the series, because we can and why not, we're all going to fill out some brackets. All right, we're going to see who can get the best bracket right here in Cathedral. Come on, let me see your hand if you think you can fill out the best bracket. Anybody? You got a couple right there, okay. All right, I'm going to hold you to it. All right, a couple fun facts around that. Getting a perfect bracket is pretty tough. Pretty tough. You say, Dave, okay, great, it's tough, but that sounds like I got a chance, right? Okay, let me make sure you understand what kind of chance you got. In the same day, you have a better odds of winning the lottery getting struck by lightning, and having a massive anaconda come through your toilet. <laughs> now, I'm not sure who did the odds on that, but that's just what they say, okay? In fact, the odds of creating the perfect bracket for the NCAA is this, is 1.92 quintillion. I don't even know how many zeros that is. I mean, that's a lot. Maybe next service we'll put how many zeros that is. I think we have a big enough screen for that. One in 9.2 quintillion. I mean, maybe that person sitting, it might be you, brother. I mean, raise his hand, it might be you, right? All right, here's another fun fact. 2008 was actually the only year in the NCAA history that all four number one seeds made it to the final four. Ever. I mean, that's crazy. Of all the years that we've been doing this, and there's only been one time that all four number one seeds made it. That was a, a hint for your bracket, by the way, okay? So pick that one up. This one I found pretty interesting. There's an industry that uh, increases during uh, the month of March. Any, in, any guesses on what industry increases sales during the month of March? I heard a lot, but I couldn't make out any of them. Sneakers, could be. Basketball, yeah, that's a, uh, yeah that should work. Right? Chicken wings. Chicken wings, 23% increase. Okay, now this one, i got to be honest. This one actually really did surprise me. There's another industry that also increases the amount of procedures that they do in the month of March. I think some of y'all already figured it out. There's a 22% increase in vasectomies in the month of March. Reason noted. It's a perfect excuse to take a few days off and watch the tournament. Let's just say that conversation didn't go too well in my household this past week, right? <laughs> here's, a, here's an actually interesting one. I didn't know this one. Each year after the NCAA tournament, when the championship is done, they actually sell the floor. Anybody know that? Obvious uh, person who buys it most often is the team who won the game, okay? And they end up making it their, their, you know, their practice court or whatnot. But from occasion, if you have a desire to own a piece of the floor... There have been multiple years where they just auction off different sections of the floor. And so that's a pretty kind of fun, neat thing that we can have. But here's my question for you. Whether you like it or not, whether you're a basketball fan or not, it seems like every year around March, millions of people come together to watch this thing. And I think the question is, is why do we love it so much? Why do we love it so much? You know, for one, March Madness, it really allows us to participate at a certain level. Sure, we may not be on the court, right? But yet we get around friends. We, we have, you know, uh, uh, 
a game to watch almost every single night? There we go. That's better. That percentage is much better. Just so you know, that was a lot easier in high school. That actually hurts now. Uh, but we love it. We love it. We love kind of it because it makes us a part of something bigger than ourselves, right? Whether we're watching the game, whether, whether we're filling out our bracket and our bracket is actually doing good. But really the reason is, is why we love this, is God wired us this way from the very beginning. You see, it's the very reason why he gave Eve to Adam, so that way together they would become something greater than who they were by themselves, right? Okay? As believers, as Christians, we participate in the Great Commission, which requires us to really kind of lay ourselves down, get outside of our comfort zone, quite often partner up with other believers, other people on the team, right? So that way we can bring more people into the playing field. We can bring more people into the salvation that God gives us. When we're a part of something bigger than ourselves, we experience life. It's the way that God made us. So now when you think about March Madness, one of the things that most people think of most often is all of the different matchups. That's really just the, 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 the deal. When you look at these brackets, you've got a bunch of different things happening. You've got all these different teams coming together uh, and another way to really kind of think about this is March Madness is filled with a bunch of trials, trial after trial, team after team, 16 seeds going against number one seeds. It's filled with all different kinds of trials. David's going up, up against a bunch of different Goliaths, right? It, another trial for a lot of these teams is fighting off end of the season injuries. By this time, you've played a lot of different games and you're banged up. Right? So you're fighting off end-of-the-season injuries. For some of these uh, teams, they're fighting off stage fright. They've never been on this big of a platform. Millions of people watching them, right? For everybody, you got to fight this thing off of having an off night. You only get one chance. It's a single elimination tournament. So if you've got an off night, it's over, baby. Okay? So you've got trial after trial. And so for the next month, what you're going to see unfold on your televisions through March Madness with every single game that is played is that there is going to be trial after trial, and that's just on a surface level. One of my favorite things to do is to watch ESPN and all the stories that are happening behind the scenes. The game is just one of the trials that they're facing in their life. But here's the thing is that every single time they have a win, what comes with a win Right behind that win is another brand new opponent who's, who's potentially better than who they were, right? It's trial after trial. Now, as I think about it, I think personally there's a lot of similarities between basketball, the game of basketball, and life. I mean, the moment that you think that you're good and in the clear of all the trials of, our, of your life, bam, I mean, it hits you. It's just something comes out of the blue like you weren't even expecting it. And here's another trial, another situation for you to figure out. Okay, but here's the thing. The teams that go furthest in this March Madness, right? The, the, the teams that go furthest typically have something in common. You see, in basketball, the goal is that you're trying to figure out, hey, what offense are we going to run? What defense are we going to run? And unfortunately, a lot of people stop right there, just at the offense and the defense. But if you really want to be a team that goes far, that really accomplishes great things, 
And you can make this correlation as you as an individual as well. If you really want to go far in life, you have to operate off of something different. And what you have to operate on is a life that is based off of values. Based off of values. You see, values are a set of ideas. It's, it's the way that we act, right? It, it's something that comes a part of your character. And, and this starts by having beliefs on the inside of us that are non-negotiable, okay? They're non-negotiable. They're, they're, they're principles that govern how you and I act on a day-to-day, -day, and especially when trials hit us in our life. Everybody on the same page with that, okay? We all have a set of values, whether you realize it or not. Now, once these beliefs are established, they come out in our conscious and in our unconscious. And the teams that have these values well-established, and not only well-established, but also well-practiced, are the teams that perform the best in the March Madness tournament. Now, the same thing is true for you and for me. Those of us who live our life governed by certain values, governed by biblical values, will go further in life. So, let's have a conversation around this topic, this topic of what do we do when the trials of life come to our doorstep? How do we handle, how do we face these trials in life? Come on, let me, let me see your hand right now if you're going through some sort of trial in your life. And I'm not talking about your coffee was cold this morning, right? Okay, like, let me see if you just got done with the trial. Yeah, I want you to, well, the hands are going down now. But if you looked around, if you ever came through these doors and wondered, I, I feel like I'm the only one going through this. Never. You, you, all you got to do is look down your row and understand every single one of us have something going on in our life. Trials aren't something we can escape, but they are something that we can handle and handle in a way that when we have a value system will allow us to have a championship-style life. Now, I think the series that we're doing is really coming at a great season in the life of the church. You see, we just got off of the 21 days of praying and fasting, right? I mean, it just kind of felt like the world was, was tilted in, in your direction. I mean, you just went through the first round of the year, and you're on fire. Like, that basket right there is 15 feet wide. Like, anything you throw up is going to go in, right? Okay, we're on fire. That's what happens when we draw close to God. Everything seems tilted. Even some of you guys describe the 21 days this way. You said, man, it, it just seems like my problems disappeared, Okay. Now, now, January is done. February's done already. I mean, where did that month go, right? So, so here we are, and where we are is we're at the, the proverbial Monday is here. All right, you've had a great Sunday. You, you've had a great spiritual season. You're on that high, right? Now what? Like, how many of you guys have ever had that? Like, you've been here on the weekends, maybe, had a great Sunday message. I mean, you're riding high. you got clear vision. You're sitting in these chairs, and you feel like God is just speaking to you so clearly. I mean, you're fired up. you got clear vision. You know exactly what God has called you to. And then you get to your office on Monday morning. You sit down in your chair, and you're going, what the heck just happened? I'm just as confused. I'm, I'm just as, I'm going to tell you right now, it's only 10 a.m., and my coworkers are working my nerves. Right? Maybe it's not even lunchtime and you're on diaper change number 48. I'm not sure the trials that are going on in your life. 
I mean, maybe you stepped on the scale and you're like, man, I should have fasted for more than 21 days, <laughs> right? Maybe you feel weighed down with all that life brings. And I'm not talking like everything's got to be negative, right? But, but, but between the job and, and homeschooling, I mean, homework at night, or raising a family, right? It, it's not bad, but they feel weighty. They feel heavy from time to time. You fill in the blank with your story, but let me say this to you. Whatever trial you're facing tomorrow, can, can you give me a couple minutes? Open up your hearts. Open up your mind. I really want you to listen because I believe God has something for you this morning. Let me speak to your today. And I guarantee you it will help you for your trial tomorrow, okay? I'm going to start off with a verse, and this really could be a theme verse for today, but it really could be a theme verse for the entire message, and it comes to us out of James chapter 1, verse 22. Here's what it says. It's don't, don't merely just listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Everybody say, just do it. Just do it. See, y'all thought Nike came up with that slogan. Uh-uh, Brother James, a couple thousand years ago, came up with my, the slogan of just do it. Another version of this verse tells us this. It says, when we're just hearers of the word and not doers of the word, then we are like someone who looks in a mirror, walks away, two minutes later comes back and they have no idea who they are or what they look like. You see, I don't, that, that breaks my heart because I know that's a reality for some of you guys in here this morning. But man, of anything that I was praying about for this week for you guys is God... I, would you let this verse come true in our life? I don't want this for anybody who calls cathedral home. I mean, when the trials of life come, God, I, my passion is that they know exactly who they are. They know exactly what they stand for. So this morning what I have is I got five values for you that when the trials of life come, and they will come, that you know exactly what to do. When you look in the mirror, you don't have to wonder, I know what I look like and I know what I stand for, okay? Because then, if we have these value systems, then you'll be ready for whatever life throws at you. All right, there's five players on the court. So I got five points for you today. Y'all good with that? All right, but here's what I want you to do. Everybody put your hands out in front of you just like this. Put your hands out in front of you just like this. Okay, you got five fingers. Okay. Now, I want you to picture you're getting ready to get into a fight. Already, you know you're in trouble. It doesn't matter how strong you are or how good you are. If you punch like this, sure, you're going to hurt somebody. But you're also going to hurt yourself in the process. There's only so much that you're going to be able to accomplish. A better way, if you understand the importance of living a biblically-based, biblically-value-based life, the values come together. So close your fist. Close your fist. A little bit better way to fight, isn't it? Right? Now you're effective. When these, these values come together and they form this, now you're able to handle the trials that life throws at you. You're able to stand strong. And you don't pick and choose, right? You don't pick and choose which values you want. No, no, we put them all together, and together these values will help us win even the toughest trials. So let's talk about these trials. But that's the visual that I want you to have, that as we build these values, you're getting another piece of the puzzle of how to handle these things. Because people who have value-based lives, they win in life. They have a championship life. Here's the first value, is that 
we got to understand that there's an opponent. Now, we talk about this a, a good bit. The, the, the other way that you can say this is you need to expect trials in your life. You, you're not going to go through life wondering if you're going to have trials. I'm trying a new mic out. It's awful. But bear with me. Y'all can hear me all right? Fantastic. If it drops out, just point at me. Okay. Now, in March Madness, it's pretty obvious who the, who the trial is or who the opponent is, who the enemy is, right? All you got to do is look at the next part of the bracket and you can see who the opponent is going to be. But in life, it can be a bit trickier, right? And unfortunately, God gets blamed for so many things that he had nothing to do with. Oh, here I go again. I guess God's just trying to punish me. Here I'm going through. No, no, no. Such a wrong way to view this whole thing. Okay, and again, I'm not talking about somebody took your seat this morning. Those aren't the trials that I'm talking about. I'm talking about trials that really make life tough. Like you feel like life is heavy. Feels like life is hard, right? Sometimes, sometimes life even feels unbeatable. Like you're just up against too big of an opponent. Sometimes it just feels like you're straight up miserable. The Bible gives us a clear picture of who the enemy is, and it comes out of Ephesians chapter 6, and here's what it says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, so here's the thing to me. Here's, to, to me, the question is not whether we have a supernatural demonic adversary. I think that verse made it very clear that we do, okay? I don't think we have to argue that. But the question to me becomes is what does it mean when Paul says that we do not battle flesh and blood? Do we not have a human adversary as well? Well, well, the answer here ultimately is yes. This is Ephesians chapter 4, and here's what it says. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Okay, so what, what does all this mean? Which one is it? Is it flesh and blood? Is it that we have uh, dark forces, the enemy, Satan coming after us? Here's what this means. Our adversary, every single day of our life, is the devil. And he uses whatever means necessary to make our life hard and ultimately ineffective for the kingdom of God. Have you ever wondered why you struggle so badly with that one or two things in your life that just seems to always rear its ugly head? It's weird, right? But God, Satan uses these things because he knows the struggle that we have. You see, the enemy has two main wars in this life. I don't know if you realize this, but as I read scripture, here's what I see come up every single time. The first war that Satan wants to keep us from is salvation. He does everything he can to deceive us, to keep us away from salvation. Now, a lot of you in this room have won that war. You have prayed that prayer, and you are now a believer. Now, when that happens, do you feel like the enemy just says, Ah, daggummit, I lost it. All right, go live your life. Go live for the Lord. Go be awesome. No. He changes his game plan because who wants to follow a miserable Christian? So if the enemy can make you as miserable as possible, can make your addictions worse than they ever have, there's a battle going on. And it's not merely flesh and blood what Paul's talking about here. And it's important to understand that we have an enemy and that our struggles are not merely human. There's another place in the Bible that takes a different spin at this, but also confirms exactly what we're talking about. This is 1 John 5, 19. It says, we know that we're children of God, right? I know that I'm a child of God. But yet the whole world is under the control of the evil one. 
Okay, Paul's wanting us to do something. He's the writer of both of these verses, right? Paul is wanting our eyes to be open to the fact that our struggles are simply just not the result of flesh and blood. In other words, the battles that we have in our life are not like the, the, the uh, traditional battlefield that we know of here on this earth. Think about whichever one you want. Civil War, Vietnam, World War One. They're not in the traditional sense, warfare filled with blood and gore, okay? But our warfare in our life, you think back through your life, all the struggles that you've had, all the people that come against you, whatever the warfare is, our warfare is always fought at a level that is spiritual. Which leads us to the second value and exactly why Paul encourages us later in the chapter, verse 11, and actually in verse 13. And here's what he says. He says, when you have these things going on in your life, you've got to do one thing. You've got to put on the full armor of God so that way you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We've got to recognize it for what it is so we know how to stand against it. If we don't know what it is, we don't have this game plan. We don't know what to do. And the way that we do this is we do this by putting on the whole armor of God. I'm not going to go through that, but simply just highlight Ephesians chapter 6. If you want to know what that looks like, read through it, and it explains it to you. Because once we correctly identify who the enemy is in our life, then we can get the correct game plan. Because you've got to understand something is that we have, you've got to believe this, we have the power to overcome our enemy like crazy. Okay, God gives us the ability and the tools to accomplish this. So value number two is we've got to have a game plan. We've got to have a game plan. Another way to say this is you've got to know God's word. I'll never forget one time we were playing uh, a team up in North Carolina, and we were really good. Uh, we weren't nationally ranked, uh, but we were beating people left and right. I mean, the year prior to that, our state championship game, we won by 28 points, Okay. And so we were pretty confident. I guess we can call it what it was. I mean, we were cocky, you know. But our coach did a great job of, of giving us other teams that were nationally ranked around the team. And I'll never forget uh, playing this team up in North Carolina. We knew that they were good. They were ranked number 10 in the, in the nation. They, their coach was a prior NBA player, okay? And we went in there thinking, oh, we might be able to hang with these guys. We're, we're going to do some business, right? And we started playing them. Realizing, oh shoot, we don't have a game plan. First three minutes go by, and I notice at the bench that five players are sitting there. They subbed their entire first string with a second string that was just as good as their first string. I was like, oh boy, this is going to be fun. Back and forth, I already see the writing on the wall. Then three minutes go by, and guess what? Five more players that I hadn't seen are at the table. They sub in. And their third string is just as good as their first string. Whoo, this is going to be a fun game. I'm going to be wore out. But one of the things that our coach said early on, he said, listen, there's going to be one way that you're never going to lose. You're never going to lose because you're out of shape. A boy, he ran us into the ground. And it was the only reason why we were able to hang with him. In fact, I'll give you this one play. This one guy, they, they, they moved the ball down the floor very, very fast. Uh, we discovered that once we started playing them. So they're moving the ball down the floor, right? They're passing it down, and I, I, I'm, I beat them down, I, a.k.a. I cherry-picked. So I'm down there, and they pass this ball to this guy. And he's about 5'10", six foot on a good day, okay? Me being 6'7", I'm like, I got this. All I got to do is time it. He's sitting right there, goal's right here, okay? 
all of a sudden this joker like does a full squat like all the way down to the ground. I'm not going to do it because I might not get up, okay? <laughs> Bends down and the springs that this dude had in his legs, I mean the sucker rose up and like within a half a second I knew what was getting ready to happen. I was like, We didn't have a game plan book to open on this team. So needless to say, we lost. I mean, we lost by about 12 to 15. We were proud of that. One of the funnest games I've ever been a part of in my entire life. I mean, the, the fans were literally on the court, and when you were passing the ball in, they were just pushing you. It was, it was fantastic. I lived for it. It was fantastic. But we didn't have a game plan. If we had a game plan, we have, could have done better and knew what their strategy was. Let me say it to you this way. A closed Bible will yield you very little hope or strength in our life. The Bible is our playbook. We've got to open it. And instead of waking up in the morning complaining about your situation and going, why God? Why me? Why does I get this and Sally looks like they're doing better? Why does John look like they have it all together, right? No, instead, we open up the game plan book. And in your word, it says, you are a good, good father meaning that you're going to take care of every single one of my needs. Your word says that you are my shepherd, which means, you know what, when I don't know what to do, you will guide me. In fact, the only criteria that your word says that I need to gain wisdom and insight into my situation is all I need to do is merely ask. That's it. Your word says that you are my provider. So when the numbers don't add up on a paper, I realize that you're the God of more than more than enough. You're the God up in heaven who's working all this, all these trials, these tribulations, the traumas that we have in our life. You're the God working all of these things. Though you may not produce them, it's the result of this fallen world and jacked up people around us and an enemy that doesn't want to see us succeed. But God, I know you're up there working all things for the good of your will in my life. God, don't ever let me forget that you are the God that can do exceedingly and abundantly more than I can ever ask, think, or imagine. Man, I know it doesn't make sense. But God, I will not grow weary in the waiting. Because Psalms 23 tells me that you dine in the midst of my enemies. If you're not scared, why should I be scared? God, don't you ever let me forget what Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 7 says that tells me when an enemy comes at me in one direction, you force him to flee in seven different directions. Man, I know it feels like I'm surrounded by all sides. God, don't let me forget that your scripture tells me that you're the one that does the surrounding. You surround my enemies. We've got to read the right. We've got to get confident in our game plan. It doesn't need to be the second or third thing that we turn to. It needs to be the very first thing that we turn to. The Bible has your solution. The Bible is your solution. Your help comes from heaven above. I mean, sure, my life stinks right now. It feels weighty with everything that I got going on. I feel like I'm under the weight of the world. But you're a holy God, and I choose you. I choose your game plan. I choose your word, God. Whatever your solution is, whatever your problem is, you've got to search the word of God. It is our one and only playbook. Amen? Amen. I don't think I got to belabor that anymore. I think we're on it. And let me just tell you, you think that your, your problem's not in the Bible? Even that problem's in the Bible. Number three, here's another value for you. 
We got to rely on the coach. Got to rely on the coach. Coaches make all the difference in the world. I mean, I want you to think about some of the best coaches that we know of. How about Coach John Wooden? I mean, coaches are still chasing after the, the, the records that he made. Ten NCAA championships. Unbelievable what he did with those players. Okay? How about Phil Jackson? Phil Jackson's one of the greatest coaches of all time, and it's the very reason why some of the best players in the game in the world have chased after him to be their coach because when you're under Phil Jackson's coaching and you rely on the coach, he brings out the best and even the best players. Okay? How about Coach K? Coach K is uh, Duke's uh, uh, college uh, head coach, and he's one of my favorite coaches. In fact, a lot of people agree with it because 12 times he's won coach of the year. Coaches make a massive difference in the game. Massive difference. If you do the flip side of that, a bad coach can tank a team so fast. So fast. Which is why it's so important to know who the coach is and to make sure that you have a good one. Now, as it pertains to us, here's where we go wrong. We go through life thinking that we're the coach. We go through life thinking that we're the coach, and our knee-jerk reaction is to rely on ourselves when we face these trials. When we face these tough and difficult things, we rely on us instead of the one true coach that we need to be looking to. You see, we got to get in the habit of relying on the coach. Well, how do we do this, Dave? The way that we do this is by praying. It's the tool that he gives us. I know it sounds simple, but keep trying it out. That's why we're unapologetic about trying to create a culture of pray first. I love seeing those things all around. I love seeing how many, and I'll order thousands of them. If you lose it, come back next week and I'll give you another one. Because it just reminds us of, hey, when I got something going on and I keep him number one, he goes before me before I ever step into that situation. We've got to pray first. There's a hotel in California, it's called the Magic Castle. Uh, it's out in Los Angeles, and they're surrounded by some of the best hotels, Ritz-Carlton, the Four Seasons, you name it, right? However, when you go on Google and you type in hotels in L.A., they're one of the most top-reviewed. I know at one point they held the number one spot for a long time. I haven't checked them in a while. If they're not number one, they're pretty close to number one. You say, why? Why would a hotel from 1950 beat some of the nicest hotels in th that the world has to offer, Right? So you take a look at some of their things, and if you look at some of their reviews, here's what you're going to find out. They took a look at all the things that annoyed the fire out of people when they went to the hotel, i.e. snack bar. Who wants to pay $9 for a snicker? It's free. It's free in their hotel. Ooh, that's not bad. We're already starting off to a good thing. I'm getting ready to take my kids. They can raid that thing, man. But here's the thing, and they do a series of other things, but I want to point out to you one of the things that really caught my eye. When you go to the pool there, on the wall they have a red phone. It's called the Popsicle Hotline. Anytime that your little heart desires, you pick up that phone, someone's going to answer the line and say, hey, it's great to have you here at the Magic Castle. What kind of Popsicle can I get for you? You tell them what kind of Popsicle you want, that guy comes out in a full suit and a silver platter with a Popsicle at your beach chair. I'm going to tell you right now, they have filled that thing. Here's what I want you to do. I tell you that story because I want you to remember something. It's time to pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. Coach, I got a problem. I need your help. Call on the only one who can not only get you through your situation, but can do it with so much grace. 
He is the solution to our problems. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 actually tells us how often we're, we're supposed to call the popsicle line. How much are we supposed to call on the coach? And pray in the Spirit in what? Oh my goodness, y'all can do a little bit better than that. How many times are we supposed to be praying? All, all the time. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say all. all. You daggone right. That's how much we're supposed to do. you got something going on in your life, some kind of situation, we're supposed to be praying all the time. It is the solution. It is the value system that we need to have. We've got to pray first, and he'll go take care of our situations before we ever think we can, or whatever abilities you have, he'll go before you. Okay, I promise you. Fourth value that I want us to have is we've got to be committed. We've got to be committed. I think on your notes it says be committed to the team. Uh, one of my favorite teams in college is Duke. We've already established this. And in 2015, uh, you got to see this value of being committed in action, okay? And really how it has championship implications. Duke won the national championship in 2015. Uh, they had a pretty small team. In fact, they only had eight guys. Throughout the year, they had a couple things that took a couple guys off the team. So they only had eight guys, very small in the world of basketball, okay? The eighth guy on the team is a guy named Grayson Allen. Eighth guy. He's the last person on that bench. There he is right there, Grayson Allen. Plays, I think he plays for the Milwaukee Bucks now, okay? Duke is playing a team called Wisconsin, and Wisconsin's having a phenomenal year. They're so good. They're beating the pants off of Duke. I mean, this game is intense. Let me remind you, there's 79,000 people in the stands. There's over 30 million people watching at home, okay? This game is intense. Duke is losing by 10 in the second half. And Coach K does something that is very risky, very abnormal in the coaching world in basketball. He looks down the bench, and he sees the eighth man sitting there, and he puts in the last man on the bench in the most critical game of their entire year. Grayson Allen goes into the game. He hits a couple good shots. But then there's this one play that is different than all the other plays in this game. One play changes the direction of the game. What ends up happening is there is a loose ball that he goes after, he dives after, and not only does he get it, but he gets fouled in the process. And you can see by the camera angles, he gets up from this intense play that is happening and unfolding. He stands up to his feet and he yells as loud as he can to his team, Let's go! Fires his team up. Before the ball is inbounded, he yells at him again, Let's go! Because of the commitment level of the last person on the team, Duke would go on to win the national championship. Take a look at this video as you see it in action. In the tournament, Winslow has, or excuse me, Jones hasn't had to do as much, but he's a guy that's capable and played big. And they beat Wisconsin up, in, up early in the year in December. Duke comes in. Had five first half points, hitting both of his shots. Screens because it's an outside game right now for Duke. Bumps penetrate fine. Bumpley back out now. He can shoot it. Big, big, big. So cool. Pin down. Nice denial. Oh, that should be a foul on Jackson. Look at this effort. And we've seen this kid slide across this floor on Saturday and why not on Monday? More urgent, more important. Look at the effort. 
This is what it's all about in seconds. He's going to run out of time. And the Blue Devils are the national champions of 2015. And that's what makes the game of basketball amazing. You never know what is getting ready to happen the turn. One of the greatest joys I had this past week in preparing for this is watching all the buzzer beater shots. Man, it is so much fun, man. It's so much fun. We see this commitment level in the Bible as well, right? right? One of the great stories, I'm not going to read it for you in total. You can read it for your own, your own self, but I'll give you a synopsis real quick. This is Exodus chapter 17, and what's happening is the Israelites are fighting um, uh, Amalek. Okay? And the only way that they're victorious, the Bible tells us, is if Moses keeps his, his hands up. Moses begins to naturally get tired, and every single time he lowers his hands, they begin to lose. Now, Aaron and her, on Moses' team, they're his right-hand men, notice what's going on. They come over to his aid, and they begin to hold up Moses' hands for him when he has no more strength to hold him up on his own. The Israelites would go on and defeat the Amalekites because of their commitment to what God said and to each other. The question that popped into my head as I was reading that verse and that story was this, is who will you run to and be by your side when the road gets tough? Who's on your bus? Who's on your team? But let me flip this question as well, because a lot of times we have this misconception that we want so much in our life, but we never do what we want done to us for others. So let me flip the question. Do you have a value system operating on the inside of you that when you see that person, that when you see that friend, when you see that family member going through a trial, going through a tough time, are you committed to the team? Do you run to their side and pick them up? I've never had this happen in my life more than in the past year. We actually just got a little over a year with my dad's passing. And throughout this last year, I can identifiably tell you that if it wasn't for my friends, I don't know where I'd be. Not only did they physically pick me up when I couldn't stand, but emotionally, spiritually, they, they, they let me do what I needed to do in, in terms of going through that grief process. They encouraged me when I needed it. They gave me the time off when I needed it. They literally, just like we see Aaron and her do with Moses, they picked me up, and in return, what I've been able to do is I've now been able to help other people going through that same exact process like I've never been able to before. I've lived it. I went through this trial. I came out on the other end of it, and it was different. It's how it works. How many of you guys remember the popular phrase, there's no what in team? There's no... Exactly. You know, trials and suffering, trauma, all this kind of stuff... They have this interesting thing that kind of comes along with this, is they have the tendency to make us self-absorbed. And we tend to thinking that no one else, no one else's trial or situation is as difficult as our own. But Peter really reminds us that we need to remember something. This is 1 Peter 4.19. It says, let those who suffer, okay, according to God's will, people, you're suffering. But here's, hey, remember this. You have a faithful creator, and while this is all going on, don't forget to continue to do good. Suffers, suffering and trials in life don't exempt us from doing good to others still. Keep reaching out. Keep praying for others. Keep looking for ways to be a blessing and, and, a, and, and, a, and the ability to encourage others, even in the midst of your own difficult trial. There's implications that happen when we do so, and I'll explain that here in just a second. The last value that I have for you is this, is your attitude. 
your attitude. How many of you guys have been on a team where there's a person and their attitude is terrible? Tanks the whole team, right? Same thing on the flip side. That's what I loved about Kobe. One of the things that Kobe did so much is he didn't care what was going on. We got a mission at hand, and he would encourage the fire to folks, right? Another way to say this is that you got to look for reasons to rejoice. The way that we say it around here is you got to choose joy because your attitude determines your actions. Your attitude determines your actions. I'll never forget we were playing Portugal one year, and we lost. I was a little ticked. I didn't do good at choosing my attitude. So what I did as soon as the game was over is I didn't look at anybody. I didn't talk to anybody. I went straight out to my car. Now my dad quickly trailed behind me to let me know that the consequences of those actions were going to be if I continued to choose to go on that path. So I quickly turned around, came back inside. And I ended up talking to people and, and telling them how much I appreciated. But my attitude determined what my actions were going to be that night. You know, when you have four boys, you look for any analogy that you can really kind of, I know this is this may be a tough word for some, depending on what your raising is, but for purposes of the story, I do have to use the F word, okay? Just prepare yourself, okay? But having four boys, any analogy that I can tie to farting, is <laughs> it's just going to hang around a lot longer, okay? And that pun was very intended, okay? Some of you are just now getting that one. But I love what this, this phrase did as it, as it pertains to our feelings, as it pertains to our attitude. And here's what it says. It says this. It says, your feeling, feelings are like farts. They come, they go, and sometimes they stink. <laughs> right? That'll preach to a six-year-old. Okay? But your attitude is a choice. Don't trust your feelings because it's not just a feeling. It's the decision of will. Is the decision going to be based off of a value-based system, based off of the Word of God, or is it going to be based off of whatever you're feeling that particular day? You see, James actually gives us the reason why that we are supposed to choose joy in the midst of our trials. Let's take a look at this. He says in James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it all joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Now, now, we don't have to have a great attitude. We don't, we don't, let me say it this way. We don't count it all joy just for the heck of it. Oh, Lord, thank you for giving me the worst day of my life. This is just roses and awesomeness, right? No, it, what he's saying is, he said, hey, it's going to hurt, but choose joy. And God actually has a purpose for us and an outcome. When we make the decision to choose joy in the midst of our trials, Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because, here's the reason why, because you know that the testing of your faith produces, everybody say it, perseverance. The main purpose in doing so is that our faith becomes more unshakable. It's this combination of trials and choosing joy that produces this in our life. You can think of faith like, a, a, like muscle tissue. Okay? The more that you push it, the more that you test it to the limits, it gets stronger, not weaker. The result of this is greater capacity. The result of this is that you can handle more in life. The Bible calls this steadfastness, perseverance, or that big cuss word, patience. But I'll make sure you understand this right. Faith is not produced in our trials. 
Faith is tested in our trials. And when you go through trials, all it's doing is it's going to show you what's on the inside of you. This value system that we're talking about, right? Whichever one you have in your life, it's going to come to the surface. Trials are not, they don't produce, okay, I understand that. If trials don't produce faith, then what does? Paul gives this to us in Romans chapter 10, okay? says this, consequently, faith comes, okay, here he's giving it to us, very plain. It comes from hearing the message, very like what we're doing right here this morning. It comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Okay, that's good. Okay, we, we know that it increases our faith, but let's get back to the why, okay? Okay, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So y'all stay and go ahead and pick it up. Faith produces perseverance. Let's break this word perseverance down in the Greek, okay? When you break perseverance down in the Greek, it's two different words. The first word meaning hoop, which I love that the Greek word that we're using for March Madness is a basketball term. I mean, how great is that? I mean, God just knows how to do this thing, right? But the first word is hoop, meaning under. I am under something. I am under. How many times does it feel like you're under your trial? Like it's the weight of the world that's on you, right? The second part of this thing is it meaning to remain. You're going to survive. You're going to not perish, right? So the picture that every single one of us need to have, and I want us to ingrain this the next time you're going through a trial, is this hoopamone. Hoopamone is that Greek word. We're going to have a hoopamone kind of attitude. When I have this heavy load, when I have this trial going on, I choose to stay under. I choose to remain instead of running at the first chance that I have. Okay, so I need to make sure we understand this correctly. It's not that you're sitting around with your hands under your behind, right? No, no, no. This is active waiting. This is the fourth quarter. Maybe this is overtime depending on your trial, right? Your whole body hurts. You're exhausted. You're shaking. Everything about your body says, I need to quit. Turn the towel in. But the next time that you find yourself in the season of life, I want you to remember, and I want you to say, oh, Satan, you better get ready, because I'm getting ready to help this piece. I'm getting ready to, I'm, my attitude, you ain't going to get me off this thing. You're going to remain under. Yes, your feelings may be telling you a couple things. That it hurts, you're sweating, you're shaking, right? You don't know if it's going to come down and be the last thing that takes you out, but those are just feelings. It's okay to have those feelings, but it's not okay to stay in those feelings. You say, hoopamone, don't, don't throw in the towel, hoopamone, don't, don't give up. God has the strength for you. When we combine this trial with choosing joy, perseverance comes alongside of this. God gets involved in this whole thing. And you're going to show the world. You're going to show the enemy. You're going to show your mama, your auntie, and who, anybody else who wants to look at you going through this trial. I got this, and I will be victorious. The devil may have tried to take you out. He may have tried to put you under this whole thing. But you're going to count it all joy. And you're going to sing and praise through this entire thing. And I want you to watch what happens. All right, guys, come over here. Come over here. Come put it back over here. You're going to go through this trial. And when you choose joy in the midst of your trial, the very thing that was meant to take you out and to put you under, now you're on top of it. That's what happens when we have this value system operating. Thank you, guys. That's what happens when you have this value system. Jesus displays this value better than anybody in history. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
Crucifixion is moments away. He's pleading to the Father, God, please would you take this cup away from me? I do not want to endure what the cross is going to be. Now we see in Scripture that he carries this out. But in Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to check this out because we see that even Jesus displays this hoopamone kind of an attitude. Hebrews 12 verse 2, it says this, check this out. Because his heart was focused on joy, because my attitude was hoopamone, knowing that you would be his, this salvation piece, we get to spend eternity with him. He endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted on the right hand. You see, he didn't have joy for crucifixion. He had joy for the resurrection. Okay? He was under trial on Friday, but he remained under it. He didn't give up. He hoopamonade, and he got on top of the trial on Monday. The joy of salvation empowered him to go through all the agonies and the trials of the cross. And the same hoopamone can become our reality. God will join you in our trials and he'll help you achieve this champion life when these values are operating in us. Last verse for us, and I'm going to close. It's 1 Peter. It says this, beloved friends, if life gets extremely difficult, does that resonate with anybody? Got many tests going on. Don't be bewildered as though something strange were overwhelming you, right? Instead, continue to rejoice. Continue to have this hoopamone attitude. In measure, you have shared in the sufferings with the anointed one so that you can share in the revelation of his glory and celebrate it with even greater gladness. When we have these value systems, you can go ahead and stand to your feet. When we have these value systems and we don't pick and choose them, when we understand that our life is based off of these biblical values in our life, there's nothing that this world can throw at you, that God can't partner up with you. That song that we sang this morning said he's as close as a whisper. He's our coach. Let's rely on him. Let's get a game plan. Let's turn to his word. Let's be that church that... Even in these seasons where we're not riding high on the 21 days, right? We're maybe in this downward slope a little bit, or maybe we're just maintenance, or maybe it's tank back for you. I don't know where you are in your walk. But whatever season you're in, whether it's a valley or whether it's a peak, God's always the coach. There was a uh, story that I heard, and I'll, I'll give it to you as the last thing I tell you. A mom was telling her child, hey, before you go to school, I just want to tell you something. Here's what she says. She says, hey, I want to make sure that you get on the right bus. And the boy responds back to the mom in a kind of a snarky answer, response, and says, Mom, I've grown up in the city. I think I know what bus is to get on to get to school. Mom responds to the little boy and says, that's not the bus that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the bus that you're going to be riding for the rest of your life. And he says, when you get on that bus, I want you to do two, two things, buddy. I, wanted to, I want you to make sure that the, the bus driver that you have is a good person. And I want you to make sure that the people that get on your bus are good people as well. Because they matter. Because you're never going to be able to go as far as you want in life if you do it alone. But if you put good people around you, surround yourself with good people, you're going to do way more than you ever thought possible. I want to add one more thing to that little story. As you think through the bus of life, 
if you get on your bus and your bus driver is the coach, if your bus driver is God, if the people that you put on your bus are good people, people who encourage you, people who are like Aaron and her, who lift you up in your trials of life, maybe it's the people in your small group, maybe it's the people who you serve beside, maybe it's just someone who's sitting right next to you that you made friendships because you sit in the same seats. But you fill your bus with good people. Let me add one last thing to it. Is that we got to fill our bus with good values. Because when we fill our bus with good values, you will have a championship life. You received that this morning? All right, all right. Put your hands out in front of me. Let me bless you before you go, okay? Lord, I just, I, I pray. Father, even as we watch March Madness unfold, Father, with every story, with every trial that we see play out on our televisions, Father, will we never forget that you are as close as a whisper to us. You're right beside us. There's no trial that we are facing that you can't not only help us walk through, but help us get on top. Father, if there's anybody out here who just feels like the enemy is surrounding them, Father, would they never let go of verses that say, yeah, I know it feels like they came, but I'm getting ready to make them flee in seven different directions. They're not surrounding you. I'm surrounding you. I will take care of you. And so, Father, I just ask now that would you ingrain inside of us this value system that you want us to have. Father, give them the strength. Give them the courage. And, Father, would you put good people around him? I ask for an anointing now in this congregation to find good people to put on the bus with him that actually wants them to win. And so, Father, would you bless this entire series that as we look through life, Lord, you give us directions in your book, your playbook, for us to go through life, not unscathed because you tell us that we're going to have trials, but we're able to handle every trial that this world even tries to throw at us. And in the midst of it, not only will we, will we be stronger, will our faith grow, but we'll bring pe more people into the kingdom because there's something different about us. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Go ahead and start looking at your brackets because we're going to be filling them out next week. Look forward to seeing you guys week two. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.